everybody. Welcome back to the Saltworks podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Dye. I'm really excited you're listening in today. And if you're new here, we like to shake things up every four to five weeks and kind of do a little bit of Bible study before getting back to the guest-based episodes that I know you love. Um, They're actually also my favorite, but we do these episodes for two reasons. One, I strongly believe in studying God's Word, and this episode gives us an opportunity to do that together and do that intentionally today. It could also be the first time someone hears this story or any Bible story, so that in and of itself is worth it. The second reason I believe these episodes are special is because on a primarily guest-based podcast, we get to take these real stories from the Bible and apply those same empathetic principles we use for guests and truly put ourselves in the shoes of those who have lived before us. So today, those shoes belong to Peter. If you don't know Peter or haven't heard much about him, he is one of the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus to help in his earthly ministry while learning and growing so that they can go forward and make disciples once he's gone. They will be the ones to carry out the Great Commission. Peter is the one that will make you roll your eyes and also root for him at the same time because he is the one that's just going to go for it, sometimes without thinking. Um, You love his big heart for that reason, and we read through his stories. They are often learning by failure moments because that was just Peter's way, and so you can see why he'd be so relatable to us because, honestly, that's a lot how we learn and grow. What is so beautiful is that Jesus knew that, and he still chose him. In fact, Peter's name was originally Simon, which meant small rock or pebbles, and Jesus gave him the name Cephas or Peter, which meant he told him, upon this rock I will build my church. Our passage today starts before this moment when Peter most likely felt anything but solid. It actually begins in Matthew 14, verse 22, but to set the scene for you, our day begins with the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. He was Jesus' cousin and was the prophet sent by God to break the 400 years of prophetic silence and point to the coming Messiah. He was the voice in the wilderness sent to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He was ultimately beheaded for being faithful to what is right in God's eyes. Jesus hears this news on this day and goes to withdraw to a desolate place, Scripture tells us. Not a quiet place or a peaceful place, but desolate, meaning deserted of people. We have to remember that Jesus was and is and has always and always will be fully God. But at this moment in history, while he was Emmanuel, God with us, he was also fully man. It doesn't make sense, I know, but it's important to remember that being fully man, he fully had the same needs, same emotions you and I feel, and even same temptations. So we can't just take him out of humanity and assume because he is God that he feels nothing like sadness, grief, or need for prayer with the Father. However, while he seeks desolation, the crowd that follows him seeks healing that only he can bring. I'm only a mom of three, and I cannot imagine the weight of this moment and this weariness. When you really need a moment of consolation for yourself with the Father, there's actually an entire crowd that seeks you out for only what He could give them. And this is where the fully God comes in, because instead of growing frustrated or tossing up His hands, the Bible tells us Jesus saw a great crowd and He had compassion on them, and He healed their sick. Not only did he not focus on his needs, he saw the depth of their needs, and then he freed them from those hurts. There's also the famous story, if you've never heard it, that happens here when Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. That is this crowd, miraculously, by multiplying what started with only five loaves and two fish, 
Remember, this is a true story. Everyone ate till they were completely satisfied and they even had leftovers. During all of this, it was the 12 disciples who saw the problem, a hungry crowd with no food and no restaurants, looked for a solution and found not a thing but one offering of five loaves and two fish, and then were the hands that actually took the first basket, delivered that, came back and saw the next basket was full, passed that out, come back for the next full basket, and so on and so forth, until everyone in the crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children, were completely filled. They were the ones that returned the leftovers that were immeasurably more than they had even started with. Specifically, these 12 men took up 12 baskets full of leftovers. All of this is vital for what comes next because we know that they are, one, exhausted from serving, and two, knowing full well that Jesus can do the impossible. Immediately, Scripture says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Being fully man, Jesus still needs a moment of solitude that he's, been, that he's put behind the needs of everyone else. He's still putting the disciples' needs above his own, allowing them to be dismissed while he's dismissing the crowds himself. But being fully God, Jesus is also thinking of what the disciples will need. He knew the disciples needed to believe even when they weren't seeing miracles and even if they couldn't always see him. He knew there was a time when this faith would be needed in order for them to carry out the Great Commission. So when evening comes, Jesus is finally alone and is praying on the mountain. At this time, scripture says the boat is a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. I love that image because what it's telling us is that the disciples are a long way from land. In other words, nowhere near the safety of being able to dock from the storm. They're not just experiencing waves, but are being beaten by them. And the actual wind is against them. And this is the point I think we need to hear today. And yet they're exactly where they're supposed to be. Jesus told them immediately to go. They obeyed. And though they are experiencing turmoil, they are not outside of God's plan. So when it was about 3 to 5 a.m., Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Now, it's the middle of the night, essentially. They've served probably about 10,000 people that day and then proceeded to not sleep or at least not sleep well because of the storm. They most likely aren't in the best state of mind mentally. Don't we all know that place? So when they see him, despite everything they've seen Jesus do that day alone, multiplying food, feeding over 5,000, healing people who have never and would never get better outside of a miracle, when they see him, they automatically assume he is a ghost and they are terrified. Immediately, there's that word again in scripture, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And here's where Peter's story comes in. Peter is the one that answers him and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. If you know what's coming next, pause on what Peter's done well. He's the first to answer Jesus. He asks for confirmation and that this is in fact the Lord that I'm hearing from, right? And then asks permission to join Jesus in the impossible. He's responded first, asked confirmation, and his heart and desire is to jump, join in and jump in with Jesus. Jesus responds, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and the Bible says he walked on water and came to Jesus. Some, and, you know, sometimes I think we picture a step or two and we don't really know how far Jesus was from the boat. But the fact of the matter is that Peter walked on water and then went to Jesus. And then verse 30 says, but 
When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. This is maybe the most insightful verse of the entire story to me, because Peter does not sink here because Jesus is absent, but because he notices for the first time since he stepped out of the boat that the wind was present. He does not sink because he is standing where he isn't supposed to be. He was called by Jesus to stand exactly where he was. And he does not sink because what he's doing is impossible. He begins to sink because his focus shifts from Jesus, who has called him, to the impossibility of where he stands. This story will always mean so much to me because we are Peter here. How many times have you felt called to do something, agreed in faith to do it, and then allowed the panic to set in on what you've dared to step into? And why do we do this? Because we realize the frailty of our human strength. There's no possible way we can do the things set before us on our own. That's why we have to depend on Jesus. Just because the wind and the waves are present, and even though the wind is against him, does not negate that Jesus is standing in it all with him. And he cries out, and here's this word a third time, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Some versions even say, Why did you doubt me? And this is why I love this story so much. As I read this, my logical brain says, little faith, he's the only one who responded and then stepped out of the boat. He's walking on water in a storm. That's impossible. And then I want to follow it up with, I'm not doubting you, Lord. We know you can do anything. I'm just doubting myself. But that isn't what Jesus says, is it? He doesn't say, why are you doubting yourself? He knows apart from him, we can do nothing. He asks why Peter doubts him. And what I've realized in that is that when we doubt, we can do the work set before us. When we doubt the calling, we are doubting the caller because he's in it and he's called us to it and he will sustain us. Yes, even when we fail and feel we're drowning. This is what it means in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It isn't to say I can do anything I want or anything I set my mind to. That I can succeed. And by the way, I don't know who needs to hear this, but success is not a fruit of the Spirit. But faithfulness is. Peace is. The truth is, we aren't always guaranteed how things will turn out. But why should that mean the Lord isn't in it? Why should trials and troubles mean you're in the wrong place? His voice can shake the wilderness, and even when he chooses not to, he promises strength and peace. I actually love that Peter falls because I see so much grace in it. It's immensely better to fall, call out to the Lord, be rescued and held up by Jesus than to continue walking successfully on water and get back in the boat thinking it was ever by his own strength. When Peter gets back in, not only does he know trust in a new way, but he knows Jesus in a new way. They all do. When they get back in the boat, the wind ceases. The chaos around them stills. I imagine their silence and heavy breathing, a lot of processing. And I don't know how long the silence lasted. And then verse 33 says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What a beautiful moment when they could only find through going ahead of him and experiencing the storm, recognizing their need to depend on him. He's not just the God of impossible now, but the God who saves and rescues and redeems and answers you immediately. Notice that the scripture repeated three times that word. I love that Jesus answers immediately, and I truly believe he does the same for us. It just may not be calming the storm immediately. It wasn't for them. But it might be strength, peace, endurance, or simply his presence. 
If all else around us falls, what else do we need? Even so, I marvel at their words because these are the disciples. Didn't they already believe he was the Son of God? Why had they left their nets and homes and lives to follow him if they didn't believe? Well, there's a telling passage in the book of John that if we could line the Gospels up, actually happens that day or the next day, depending on how you count in the middle of the night. They land and the crowd that Jesus had left follows him, finds him again, and they're looking to be filled anew. They're looking for more signs and wonders and more bread. And he tells them, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They say, give us this bread always. And he answers, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's foretelling of the sacrifice his body will soon be. But all the crowd can hear is that this man is claiming anyone who eats of his flesh will live forever. A hard lesson to fathom. Scripture says in John 6, verse 66, that after this, many of the disciples turn back and no longer walk with him. So Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and says, Do you want to go away as well? And it is Peter who answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. These powerful words are ones I come to when I feel stuck, especially when I feel like he hasn't answered or made a way through a problem I'm facing. Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life because it's true. It doesn't matter if it feels impossible, unlikely, bleak, if I feel like he's not answering, or maybe that I feel like he's pruning or disciplining me. Where where else would I go? And I love that Peter speaks these Did you notice that he separates believing from knowing? He says that we have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. I don't know about you, but I think they came to know that about 3 to 5 a.m., somewhere between Peter getting out of the boat and getting back in with Jesus, right about the time the wind and the waves grew silent and they fell down in worship. I don't know what's going on in your life right now or what you feel called to do, but I do know Jesus. And I know he's trustworthy and he is with you. And if you don't know Jesus and you want this eternal life that we've talked about today that can't be found anywhere else, before you do anything, just pause and pray to him where you are. Be honest with him about what you're feeling and what your doubts are and ask him to forgive your sins. He already knows what you're going to say. And ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. He is faithful and he will be faithful to you. And if you have just made that decision for your life, would you tell someone, maybe a local church or a friend who is a believer, you are always welcome to email me at hallie at saltworksministries.com. I would love to hear and help in any way I can. I pray that Peter's story encourages you the way it always encourages me. I pray that you see the Lord's goodness and faithfulness in his story. Thanks so much for listening in, and if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with someone you love, and we will see you next week on The Saltworks. This is my story. This is your story.